Good morning, good morning. So I'm Paul Casey. I'm on a leadership team here, and it's a pleasure to, uh, again, welcome you to church today. And we're going to be starting a new series, a little mini-series. We've been in the book of John, uh, but within the book of John, there is there are a bunch of I am statements that Jesus says while he was here on earth. And so we're going to be exploring who Jesus is, these audacious claims he made about himself, why he made those claims, and then inviting us into, like, what does that mean for our identity and our following of Jesus Christ? So today we're going to talk about a topic as old as life itself on this planet, light, and the originator of light and the current keepers of the light. And you might have heard of some phrases that are spin-offs of the concept of light, like his face lit up when he saw her across the room, or that three-point shooter really lit it up last night in basketball, or I finally saw the light and made the change. Or do you see the light at the end of the tunnel this busy season at work? All these phrases shed some light on the positive connotations of the word light. And hopefully you will not be out like a light after listening to me speak. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, my style of speaking is a little bit how I drink my Starbucks Frappuccinos, which is a little bit of coffee and a lot of chocolate. <clears throat> I like it more like a milkshake. So... um when I speak, it's a little bit, 10% of the why, this is important, and 90% of the how to apply this to our life. And so the end of the, uh, Jesus in, in, in John chapter 8, he, it was the end of the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. This was a really long feast for the, uh, the Jewish nation. It was eight days long, and they had many different traditions that they had to celebrate all remembrances. Just like when we celebrate communion every Sunday, it's a remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And so they were celebrating Israel being delivered way, way back, thousands of years earlier in the Exodus. They were also celebrating the end of harvest. And so just celebrating at the very end, it's usually an October uh, kind of a celebration. And at the end of this feast... Every night of the feast, they would have sort of like these fire dancers. I don't know if it was like Hawaii, but they had some type of fire dancing and with lots of lights in the, in the courtyard of the temple, what's called the women's court of the temple. And they would light these four menorah candlesticks uh, at that time, and that sort of uh, symbolized, again, what Jesus, what God had done for them years and years earlier. And so Jesus is a master of metaphors, and so... What I love about Jesus is how relevant he was when he was here on earth, still is today, obviously, but when he was here in the flesh here on on earth, he would take whatever was going on and he would teach a principle using that. And so uh, one of the things he did is he thought about the light, and right before that he was talking about living water as well. And so he makes this claim about himself in John 8, verse 12. And here's what he says. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So a pretty audacious claim. I am the light of the world. So what justifies this claim for Jesus? Well, just that he was there in the very beginning when light was spoken into existence in uh, Genesis chapter 1. Now, John 1 has a... uh, 
we, uh, we talked about this, it was probably like November or December when we started the book of John. We talked about what John said about Jesus being there in the beginning. Here there, Jesus also equating himself with God the Father and God the Spirit. And so the Trinity, you've probably heard that word before, was all present in this, in this uh, passage, which was present there in Genesis chapter 1. So he's the originator of light. A lot of credibility there. Then Jesus was the first to proclaim light to all mankind. He was already brought light to the Gentile, or excuse me, the Jews, and then he said, everybody is welcome. And I'm, I'm personally glad of that because I'm not Jewish in nature. So uh, all Jews and Gentiles were given the opportunity to no longer walk in darkness, separated from God the Father. So grateful for that. Jesus is also the sole source of divine illumination of anyone who desires to seek and find God. Anyone can reach out for his light. Uh, we used to go to candlelight services at another church I uh, used to be a part of, and uh, Christmas Eve was the candlelight service, and the way they would get the light all the way through the congregation pretty fast is the ushers would come down and light the one person on the end, light them up, I guess, <laughs> so to speak, and then they would, so the next person would put out their candle and they'd light it, and the next person would do their, until so it went all the way to the end and it lit up the whole place very quickly. And so if anyone wants to reach out for God, they could sort of put their candle, metaphorically, out for him and and he will provide light to their life. Then in heaven, the last book of the Bible says in Revelation 21, 23, and the city, the heavenly city, has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. We sang in our first song today, the Lamb. And the Lamb is another word for Jesus, how he describes himself. So, so heaven is going to be so awesome that there's no like street lights or flashlights or candles because Jesus is so uh, illuminative, if that's a word, that it just lights up all of heaven. That's pretty bright. So what is the impact of Jesus being the light of the world on us? Today we're going to listen to what God says to the Corinthians through the Apostle Paul, who I was named after, by the way. Uh, my parents didn't name me after the Apostle Paul. Um, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18, where we'll spend most of our time today, there are five ways that we can look at our life and then live even more boldly and triumphantly as a carrier of the light of the world. So point number one is my life and your life can be powerful. Verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 4 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So here we see the word treasure. And where we see the word treasure in the Scripture is in Christ followers, people that follow Jesus. And we're described here as jars of clay. Interesting. Jars of clay. Not very flattering considering how you dressed up for church today. Uh, but, you know, it's just jars of clay. In other places in Scripture, our lives are described, again, as some not very attractive things like a vapor that appears for a little while and then it goes away, or dust, or grass, uh, things that are very temporal, that the best we can offer on our own strength in Isaiah 64 is like filthy rags, like after an oil change. You know, it's like, wow, those are, that doesn't really pump me up very much. Maybe it didn't pump you up either. But here's the principle that if we follow Jesus in our shell of skin and bones and muscles, we also have within that the most amazing power source in the universe. Here's a little visual of that that I found. It's a clay, a clay lantern with a light inside. 
Except what I want you to picture in this, in this picture is a blinding light emanating out of it, like a nuclear explosion coming out of the jar of clay. We're that clay receptacle, but God's power is the light. Paul uses four paradoxes in this passage, being the smart guy that he was. And this first one is the indescribable value of the gospel treasure in the apparent worthless shells of God's ministers. And by the way, we're all ministers, not just the pastors that are paid or missionaries that go to foreign fields. We are all ministers of of God. It's the preeminently significant in the unattractive. The diamond wrapped in a shoebox and newspaper. His all-surpassing power that makes everything happen in jars of clay. It makes me think of the genie in Aladdin. Remember the Aladdin movie? You know, phenomenal cosmic power in an itty-bitty little living space. <laughs> I love that line in, the, in that movie, Robin Williams being the, the genie of voice in that movie. Clay, as you know, is, a, is not a durable material when it's dropped or cracked. I've got a little piece of clay here from uh, when... We had a pot on our back patio and being sun-scorched and probably hit by the sprinkler enough times it got a crack in it and you know it's game over, you know, when, when the clay pot gets a crack. And so it became shattered into a million pieces and I kept one of those uh, to remind me of this passage of scripture that we're jars of clay. But our frail container is not an indicator of the entire picture. There is more than meets the eye. And uh, we like to watch a show in our house called Storage Wars. Anybody watch Storage Wars, that show? It's a silly little show where uh, they, these people abandon uh, storage containers and then an auctioneer actually auctions off them. They can't look, they can they just peek into the storage shed, a bunch of junk and bags and dressers and things. And uh, they can't touch anything or go in and look. And then they bid on it, hoping to find inside that storage container, there's going to be some gems that they can resell at a profit. And sometimes they find some really amazing things in there. And other times it's just a bunch of bags of old clothes that people have abandoned in there. But there's sometimes some gems in there that they didn't know. Here's the point, is that God takes a chance on us. He makes us his plan A, knowing that his power implanted in us can lead people to his real hope. He takes a chance on us, making us his plan A, knowing that his power implanted in us can lead people to his real hope. The inside scoop is told by Jesus eight chapters later in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And here's what this verse says. My grace, Jesus says, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. It's as if there was like an inventor that puts a a chip into an android or a robot and it brings it to life. God's power brings us to life. And others can benefit from our carrying and displaying that power, that light. Jerry Estes has a song called Carriers of Light. And it says this, We are carriers of the light. Come to shatter the darkness. We have power to pierce the night. Carriers of the light. So when you're weak, remind yourself that when when it is when we're weak, that we're actually strong when we lean into Jesus, the light of the world. Number two is our life is hopeful. Our life is hopeful. Verses 8 and 9 say this in 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. 
persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. In these two verses, we see a conflict. The evil one is seeking to steal and kill and destroy all that is good in us, to render us ineffective as God's representatives. He is seeking to disqualify us or to distract us. And I heard one speaker say, well, it's God either, Satan tries to either make you bad, and if he can't do that, he'll try to make you busy. And I was like, ooh, ouch. That, that one hurts a little bit. Because sometimes if we're distracted with other stuff, then we don't focus on him, which is our source of our power. So there are things coming against us living a victorious Christian life. In fact, let me ask you guys, what are some things in our lives that distract us, that take us off track? They may not be bad things. Some are bad things. Some are just things that get us off track. Who's got one that you can just think of that distracts us? Snow. Sports. Okay, what else? Work does, for sure. What else distracts us? Squirrels. Spoken by an ADD person. No, just just kidding. Squirrel. <laughs> yes. And when we do say squirrel to someone who uh, suffers from ADD, <laughs> all those things, you know, in that pull our attention away, right? Our technology does. Things that are dinging and blinking and uh, some things, uh, drama in our lives sometimes get us off track. We get on the drama train and we ride it for too long. And instead of staying in there with, with the Lord on those so it's sort of like this photo from Star Wars 1, Woo-hoo. Uh, when the Jedi, the good guys, were surrounded by the droid army, completely outnumbered in the middle of a closed-in stadium, and there was an evil leader wanting them all dead. Sorry if you're not a Star Wars person. Um, they all knew they would have to fight their way out. We have to partner with the light of the world. We don't have our lightsabers. We've got Jesus, even better. And uh, he's going to do the fighting for us, so we don't even have to pick up those weapons to not let the darkness win. Because as you heard in John 8, 12, when we started, he's not saying the darkness is going to go away. He said he's going to be there to light the darkness. And that's a big difference. Paul says, and by the way, he speaks from experience, that guy was beat up more than 99% of, other Christ- of all the Christians that lived on the planet because he had just gotten, uh, he just loved the Lord and he knew he was in this for the long haul and he didn't matter what opposition came against him, he just kept getting beat up, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a snake. I mean, the guy had gone through so many things to stay faithful to the Lord. And what he says is that we're hard-pressed like in gladiatorial combat, but we're never completely cornered without room to move. We are never driven to surrender. The resistance is considerable, but not totally overwhelming. We get down, but not out. I actually Googled that phrase. I said, down, but not out. You know, I just wanted to see what it said. It led me to a website that talked about the good that can come out of a big disappointment, if we can learn and grow through it. The webpage listed a bunch of tips on how to become more resilient when you are disappointed about something. But I turned to my Christian friends on Facebook, where all the kitty pictures are, of course, uh, to find out what, uh, what Rocky Balboa fortitude that they have to overcome when they get knocked to the ground, when they don't get permanently grounded. You remember the first Rocky movie? Um, he, did, he fought against Apollo Creed, which uh, Creed was, a, uh, was definitely the overwhelming favorite. And he didn't win, but he hung in there through all the rounds, and he got beaten up pretty badly. But by hanging in there, that was like Rocky's victory, that he was able to hang in there with, with the champ in the ring. So I, I, I pulled my Facebook friends, and I said, how do you hang in there? 
Okay, and here's what some of them said. One lady said, uh, recognize the defeating messages are lies from Satan and reject them in the name of Jesus. One said, listen to the lyrics of Christian songs on the radio. One said, trust what you cannot see, that God has a plan. Here's a couple more. Put your hope in God alone, like Psalm 62.5 says. And then one gal wrote a lot. She put, be proactive instead of reactive through consistently strengthening your walk with Christ, through prayer, Bible study, by journaling your blessings daily, by surrounding yourself with prayer partners, and by praising him in the storm. Wow. She took a lot of time to write in the comment section on that Facebook post. And a lot of those are great action items that we could take with us into our into our week. And Sarah spoke uh, last week on praising him in the storm. Like our, some of us need to get out of the boat and walk toward Jesus with faith. Others need to invite Jesus into the boat with us in whatever trial, whatever storm we're going through. So I thought that was a real good tie-in. So we're gradually wearing out, but daily we can renew spiritually. A great truth to cling to. Here's number three. Our life can be alive in Christ. Our life can be alive in Christ. And here's what Scripture says in uh, verses 10 through 15. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. But we who are alive and always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, We also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So a lot of stuff going on in there. But here's what uh, Paul's second paradox is. We have life in the midst of death or just dying tissue, you know, our bodies. Corinthians has been trying to say in these first seven chapters that we can experience comfort in the middle of our affliction. And if you're struggling today, I would encourage you to read the book of 2 Corinthians this week. You're going through a trial in your life. Maybe it's health issues or financial issues or relationship issues. Whatever it is, read 2 Corinthians. And I'm I'm praying that that would be a blessing to you this week in your own time with the Lord. Um, uh, The life of Jesus saves us from being crushed. And one, one of the Facebook people, I pulled this one just out separately, was John 16, 33. And it says that I've told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If you keep the world's mindset, you have trouble, and that's it. Okay, but if you stay in Jesus, which is a mindset and an action, you will have peace. God has done the heavy lifting so that you and I can flourish. I love that. Our job is to dial down, actually probably dial off, our selfish desires to to decrease, as John 3.30 says, or to uh, take up our cross, our God-given load, our identification with Jesus, and follow the light of the world, follow Jesus, to lift him up and to dial up our pursuit of Jesus. 
And I think that's what's meant by that phrase, carrying around the death of Jesus. Sounds a little morbid. You know, when you read that, like carrying around the death of Jesus, what does that mean? I think that's what he's he's trying to say here. It's sort of like what baptism signifies. You saw uh, Tommy getting baptized up on the screen there in the video, which always makes all of us smile. Uh, You know, baptism is that symbol of being buried with Christ, all our sins dying with him, and then raised to new life thanks to the resurrection and uh, that we can all that we're all going to celebrate by the way at Easter um, in just a couple months in, in April. So when you once and for all decide to claim what Jesus did in substituting his life for your payment for sin for our sins, you begin to identify with him as your Lord and Savior. And a lot of people wear crosses. Maybe you have a cross piece of jewelry that you have, or maybe you've got a, a, a plaque on your wall, or some type of decoration in your house that is your identifier with with Christ. And so, uh, by the way, if anybody does want to pursue baptism, uh, please talk to Micah and Sarah. We would love to celebrate with you. If you want to renew your commitment to the Lord or for the first time do that, um, that is just a really awesome experience that the whole church would love to, to celebrate with you. When you daily choose to deny your sinful nature to indulge in something destructive, when you say no to a substance or an attitude or a thought, you continually identify with Jesus. And it's like you're showing your gratitude back to him for what he did for you. And the end game of all this is we become a carrier of light. His life being revealed in our mortal body. And I encourage you to uh, add this little phrase to your prayer list as you pray for God's help this week. Here's a phrase you could pray. Lord, help me to give myself in service to Jesus and to die to the world's order of things. The things that, you know, it's just trouble and that's it. That kind of stuff. Instead of saying, Lord, I want to have the right perspective on this. And when you do, you become a carrier of light. Uh, And you're like that quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's like when you illuminate someone else's path, it lights your own path too. And I, I love that quote. Now, if you've got the light, God expects us to shine. So I've got a candle here. Um, and it reminds me of Matthew 5, 14 to 16, which says, you are the light of the world. It's like, whoa, whoa. you started today with Jesus saying he's the light of the world. Now what Jesus says is, hey, now, now you, are, you and me, we're all the light of the world as well. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, when you read that, you might go, Paul, I'm shy. You know, I, I, I don't know if I could do that. You know, or I'm an introvert. You know, I, I, don't, know if, I don't know the Bible backwards and forwards. I, I, can't, I can't shine. Uh, that, that just sounds really overwhelming. Or I don't really have any opportunities to shine. You know, I'm just mainly in my house most of the time, and I don't, have, I don't interact with other people. Or what if I get rejected when I start shining? You know, what, what's, what's going to happen then? God sort of ignores all those excuses and says, don't hide my light. Okay, I, I need you all. You're my plan A. So, so let it shine. Um, that reminds me of the song that uh, some of us sang uh, when we were growing up in Sunday school, This Little Light of Mine. Okay, Now, if, you've, if you weren't, didn't go to church when you were little, don't feel like uh, you, you missed out on this specific song. But you can, you can sort of pick it up pretty quickly. I actually just want us just to sing the first verse, just to remind us of, of Sunday school days of old for, the, for those of you that were in it. So uh, you'll catch on. So ready? Here we go. We, we did this with our finger, right? We, this was our light, right? And we said, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
mine, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay, enough of that. Okay, but, but hopefully that <laughs> reconnected you to something way in your past on that. There was a second verse, okay, and it said, hide it under a bushel. And what did we all yell out? No. no. Okay, and the, again, you that didn't grow up in, in, in church, you're like, what? You guys all yelled no out loud? Yeah, yeah, we did that. And so, and the purpose was, you know, when we have the light of Jesus, we don't want to hide that under a bushel because the flame's going to go out without oxygen, okay? But then I think to myself, ooh, sometimes I let my, I do hide it under a bushel when I'm out in the community. And I would have to say yes to that. And it, it, it sort of chides me to remember, I got to keep my light shining. Then there was a third verse of the song, and um, it was like, don't let Satan, and there was not a word after that. It was a sound that we made. Don't let Satan, we went, it out, okay, which was like blowing out the candle, and that was really fun as a kid to do, because we'd go, you know, uh, blowing the candle out, which was just our finger, uh, when, we were, when we were doing it, but Satan really does want to keep us silent. He wants the good news to go dark. He wants us to stay scared about sharing Christ's love, and he wants us to just take that candle and put it away, but he's saying to us today, I need all of us to spread the message of hope. Will you do that? That's what he's saying to us today through scripture. And if you go, I don't know, I, I just don't know if I can do that. God wants you and me to connect with what we've been given. The Apostle Paul says that he couldn't keep silent because of his faith that the resurrection guaranteed his resurrection someday to heaven and a new jolt of energy every day that Jesus was with them. He was giddy about that. And this was sort of his trigger point for sharing his faith, for being a carrier of light. Counselors talk about that word trigger. We've probably heard this word trigger mostly in a negative uh, response, like uh, maybe you were betrayed by someone in a relationship years ago, and then your spouse comes home late and doesn't call, and you're like, ooh, and you get triggered. Or, or, or uh, you reach for your, you know, the person you love's phone, and they go, oh, no, no. And you're like, wait, 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 why are you coming off your phone there? What's, what's up with that? And you get triggered because of something where a wound was in the past, it gets brought forth to right here, right now. Now, this here is a good trigger, okay? It's not a bad trigger. Our faith is supposed to trigger what uh, our church mission is, which is to love God, to inspire others, and to build community. So it's a good trigger. When we think about this, it should kick us into gear. And Paul was so serious, he even said in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He was like, this is my mission and I'm, I'm going to do this. His confidence was based in his faith. His confidence to share Christ was grounded in hope that sprung from the resurrection and how that impacted him. And his confidence to share Christ was grounded in his knowledge. He was on the winning team at the end of the game. And by the way, you can look in the end of Revelation and you can see if you follow Jesus, you're on the winning team. And that, that should make us smile, thinking, yay, I'm on the winning team here. It's like looking at the end of a book to see if the hero survives. You know, I don't know if anybody does that. I can't do that personally, but maybe some of you have done that where you go to the end of the book like, I got to see if they're still living. Or you go to the last series on Netflix and you go all the way to the end to see like if your hero is still there in the last episode. Okay, we already know that we're on the winning team if we follow Jesus, which is pretty cool. So, Paul, how do I do the shining thing? How do I reflect the light of the world? Give me something practical. Well, one way is how you endure the afflictions and bad circumstances in our life. You can go through painful experiences for God's glory. In verse 15, he said, when you remember the whole purpose of life is to glorify God, you begin to apply that to all the facets of your life, even 
when you're tempted to be at your worst. If you can display God's grace, somehow stay positive in the storm, that's going to generate the glorification of God, and people around you are going to sit up and take notice. You're going to be front and center for God to shine. A local pastor here in town, um, he flipped his car on the ice uh, two weeks ago, and uh, he got cuts and scrapes, but God protected him, and, and he walked out of it. I can, you know, the Facebook post is the car, you know, completely on its side. And uh, so he was uh, getting lots of um, people saying, praying for you, praying for you, you know, on Facebook from his congregation. And uh, he finally, when he was recovered enough, he said, thanks so much for your prayers. You guys are awesome. I love how the body of Christ comes together and, and helps uh, each other. And I'm doing good. I just have some cuts and scrapes. You know, glory to God that he, he protected me through this. Then he used it to shine his light. And he said, some of you struggle with chronic pain. Some of you have pain every single day of your life. And I have more uh, I, have, I have more empathy for you than I've ever had before because my cuts and scrapes are going to heal up pretty quickly, but um, still cling to God during that time. And I just thought that was a great way that he used a tragedy to shine his light. So you in Christ are a carrier of light because you're powerful, you're hopeful, you're alive. Number four is my life renewed. My life renewed. Verse 16 and 17. Here's what 2 Corinthians says. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's the prescription for not losing heart. And I, by the way, I lose heart sometimes. We all lose heart. We all, we all just go, eh, is this worth it? Am I making a difference? You know, I got to go through another day. The only thing that bounces me back through this is daily spiritual renewal. It's sort of like on your computer, what's the button you hit to make everything like current? Refresh, right? The refresh button on your computer makes everything current if there are any changes made. This is what spiritual renewal is. It's like hitting the refresh button. In the big scheme of things, we have light and momentary afflictions. Now, they sure don't feel like it. Right? They don't, they don't feel like these are light and momentary because they cause us physical and emotional pain and weakness. But at our disposal is a God who is ready to dish out the Holy Spirit's comfort and guidance and endurance and fruit in a proportion way more than our pain. The Bible says far outweighing all that. So here's the formula. Your pain and you add God's renewing your spirit to it and it equals a positive outcome in God's economy every time. So if you have your pain and you add God's renewing your spirit, you get a positive outcome of God in God's economy Every single time. But we have to run to him. We have to seek him. We have to follow his instructions in order to produce the glory of God. What we want to do inside is to run away from him. We want to hide from him. We want to clam up from him and look for solutions in our own power, which won't give any glory to God through that. So I try, like when I get in the shower, whenever I can remember, I try to pray for renewal. For, for God to fill me with his Holy Spirit for the day, because I know that's going to set the day when I go out in business uh, and meet with people out in the community. So finally, one more point. Paul brings it home with the last two paradoxes. I'm a carrier of light, and you're a carrier of light when our life is focused. Number five is focused. And it reminds me, I brought some, uh, some vine sunglasses here, which visitors, of course, you could pick up on your way out today. Uh, reminds me what lens we look through in life, okay? 
Several years ago, my daughter and I were riding our bikes together. She'd gotten a new bike for her birthday and a new pair of birthday sunglasses. Okay, you know, they were just cheapos. And uh, so she took off her, her sunglasses briefly, and then she put them back on, and she said, I like looking through the world. I like looking at the world in yellow. That was her phrase. It was because they were yellow lenses. And I just thought that was so funny. I went back and wrote it down. Then I embarrassed her over there. Uh, but, but I think that was, that was pretty funny. You know, I like looking at the world in yellow through that perspective. So that was her lens. So what you and I choose to focus on determines our outlook. Here's the next slide. What you and I choose to focus on, we fix our eyes on what is seen. Not, excuse me, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then the next slide talks about what we can choose to focus on. What you and I choose to focus on determines our outlook, which determines our behavior and our speech. So with the right focus, we can truly be a carrier of light. What do you think your focus should be on? By the way, it's the old Sunday school question. If you don't know the answer in Sunday school, we always said one or two things, God or Jesus. Okay, so I'll ask that question again. What do you think your focus should be on? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. We always, we always say that. So if you don't know the answer in church, just say God or Jesus. And you'd be right, okay? Because the Bible says in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on these earthly things down here. Your focuser is your wanter, and you, what you derive your significance from, what you pursue first and most. And here are the paradoxes to wrap up. Appearances are misleading. The world system and culture says focus, pursue, long for material stuff that you can see and touch and taste and feel. But God says, no, no, it's the unseen things, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That's the thing that's crucial. The world system and culture says you get your significance from what's here and now, what will actually burn up or wear out or get stolen. God says, no, run after or focus on the eternal, the lasting things that will outlive us in heaven. Usually that's people, that's not stuff. And people's change lives with God's word. Neil Young uh, sang this, light a candle in the darkness so others may see ahead. Light a candle in the darkness when you go. So we're going to close. And before we do, these are just a few truths spoken. I mean, these are just some truths spoken in God's word, unless you choose to latch onto them and apply something today. So I've got five statements here that I'm going to put up here to be a better carrier of life from our five points today. And I want you to ask the Lord real quickly right now, if you would, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, and say, which of these five things do I need to think about a little bit more? Turn into a prayer and, and send those back up to the Lord. So let's say these five statements together and just which one resonates with you as we go into our week. So let's say them together. Here we go. I am only powerful when I am weak and dependent on God. Number two, I can hang in there when feeling oppressed by taking spiritual actions. Number three, I will pray for and look for opportunities to share my faith in small ways. Number four, I will renew myself every morning with a time of seeking God. And number five, I will get my significance for pursuing God's best, which is eternal and unseen. Do you know the one that just sort of stuck with you? Turn that one into a prayer this week and watch how you and I can be better carriers of light as we follow Jesus, the light of the world. Let's pray. Thanks, God, for this day and for bringing us here to church. There's a reason why you had us here today. I don't know what that reason is for every person in this room, Lord, but you know. You know why they're here today. 
And Lord, I pray that we would take whatever this truth is from your word, from Jesus, the light of the world, and apply it into our daily life so that we can carry that light to others. And by lighting other people's path, I pray that that would light each of our paths too, and we would have a victorious week this week. In Jesus' name, amen.